Hey everyone, welcome to Hub City Church. We are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. If you want more information about Hub City Church, find us online at thehubcitychurch.com connect and fill out our digital connect card. Now let's dive into this week's message. Ben, we're excited to have you here. Thank you. We love you and uh, we're excited to jump in to the gospel of Matthew with you. Great. So, ladies and gentlemen, Ben Breeden. Thank you. Um, are you... Shall I read this passage? I think you had said something about reading the passage at the, the beginning. I'll read it during the sermon, but I, I didn't know if there was something. Um, we can, I'll read it as we get into it then. I, um, so great to be with you all today. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles, your Bible apps, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. It is wonderful to be up here. I've never been in a hot seat when I'm preaching before, so uh, next time I'll come prepared with better toothpaste answers. Um, but it is always fun to come up. I, I really do love Sean and April. Thanks for, for having me. Uh, Sean mentioned it, and I introduced my title. It's always fun trying uh, to get that right. I am the homeless response coordinator for the city of Everett. I was a professional church attender for many years, but then uh, was invited by the city of Everett to assume a new role. So I get to, to work on addressing poverty in real tangible ways, addressing the brokenness in the city of Everett. Um, so it's, it's a real treat to be up here today with you, and we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 7, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is a, uh, really, we'll, we'll get into it, but it's kind of, the, one, some, some people would say it is kind of the distilled gospel. This is the message that Jesus is preaching, and so much of what happens in, throughout the four gospels, you can see it kind of referenced or introduced in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's intense. Like, if you've ever read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus doesn't pull any punches. It's, it, it, Jesus gets into your business. It's like, whoa, hey, easy Jesus. I just wanted a little bit of light reading. Um, but I'm grateful that Jesus is continuing the good work in each one of our lives. Um, it's fun to be here at January 14th. How many of us have figured out, Sean and I were talking before the sermon, before church started, uh, it's weird that it's only the 14th, but does anybody feel like we've been in 2024 forever? <laughs> like when I started kind of thinking about what I come and talk about, I was thinking like, oh, it's only the second, really the second Sunday, because January 1st, I don't know, did you have church, did you have church at home? Mo many churches had kind of a devotional, so it's really like the second Sunday. I was like, oh, great, we can talk about kind of new starts, getting into things, um, the, 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 all the New Year stuff, new goals. Anybody do resolutions or goals? Not me as much, so I'm not going to hold anybody to that. I'm just kind of asking. Um, for us, really, it's not so much about goals of the new year, but rather kind of trying to catch up from the end of last year like trying to reboot our metabolism to some sort of normalcy. Anybody else ever have that experience? Like, good Lord, we have eaten a lot of garbage in the last few weeks. It's been like, like, like the end of the year. It's, it's great, and that's part of the you know, Christmas festivities is all the indulgences, all the fudge, all the cookies, all the things. For, um, when we, uh, so, so my wife and I both work, and as we get ready for Christmas, you know, we've got three kids, and so we had to prep our house for that. But beyond all of the Christmas goodies, we had to go to Costco and get all the things for having three kids that can take care of themselves. Hopefully, we, we expect that they can feed themselves. Got their favorite cereal, got Lucky Charms. I have a picture of it. Uh, if anybody doesn't know, it's a delicious cereal with marshmallows and healthy cereal uh, oats and grain, whole grains. I don't know what's in there. But I came home from work a couple times 
during my kids' Christmas break, and I, I found half-eaten bowls of Lucky Charms. And my kids don't do it with milk. They just kind of eat it like popcorn. But what I found was the half that was left in the bowl was the cereal. There were no marshmallows, just cereal left. And I realized I'm confessing to you one of my parenting flat spots that I'm going to aim to grow in. My kids were existing off of Lucky Charms marshmallows for a good portion of their Christmas break. Sometimes as we uh, explore the mission and message of Jesus, as we get into the gospel, I think that it's really easy, uh, particularly in the day and age that we live in, to be followers of Jesus the way my kids eat cereal, that we just want to eat the marshmallows, right? Like, like, like some of the stuff Jesus says, it's just so nice, Right? Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Oh, that soothes my soul, right? Oh, I'm going to my father's house, and there's many mansions. I'm going to prepare a place for you. What a beautiful thing Jesus said in John chapter 14. That's so wonderful. I love that stuff. But sometimes when we get into the gospel, you don't have to go very far and things aren't as easy. Jesus says things that really can start poking our nerves. The, the, the things that are not the marshmallows in the gospel. When Jesus says things like, love your enemies, turn the other cheek, go the second mile when somebody asks you to go a mile. These are all snapshots from the Sermon on the Mount, but, it, but, but throughout the ministry of Jesus, there's sometimes when it's like, oh, that, that's not my favorite thing. As we get into this passage, I think that, that one of the things that we could almost summarize this is that Jesus is saying, hey, don't pick out the marshmallows today. Let's not be followers who pick out the marshmallows in our faith in the year ahead of us. Particularly, boy, it is a polarized world we live in. It's going to get even worse. Guess what? It's an election year. You don't have to look in the news too much to see. Man, it is tough to represent the loving creator in the world around us. Don't pick out the marshmallows. So Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 through 14, Sean asked me what title I have for this sermon. I don't do titles very well. I'm not cool enough or hip enough to have clever alliterations or anything like this. So I, so I, I kind of said, well, Jesus loves you, so don't be a jerk. <laughs> but I didn't put that on the screen because I want to come back another time. So that, that's maybe like the, the working title. Matthew 7, starting in verse 12, this might be familiar to some of you. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And really, what a good summary for, for so much of the gospel message, right? Love God and love others. In fact, if we want to love God well, we need to cultivate sometimes love for others, because that part doesn't always come natural to us. Treat people the way you want to be treated. My mom said that to me all the time growing up. We have, like I said, our three kids, we have two rules. I might have said this last time I was up here. Two rules for our, in our house. Don't choke and be kind. <laughs> like if you could do that, I feel, if my kids can, can get to 18 years old without choking and learning how to be kind to others, I feel like all the other stuff, eat whatever marshmallows you want, I feel like that's a pretty good batting average. 
Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them, because this is the law and the prophets. Verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's a pretty significant chunk of, of text. It's the largest single kind of body of single message that we find in the Gospels. And, and it starts at the beginning of Matthew's, uh, Matthew recording of Jesus' ministry. Jesus is gaining ministry. Excuse me, Jesus is gaining popularity. The text tells us that there's a multitude of people that have begun to follow Jesus. He's in northern Israel by the Sea of Galilee. And all these people are coming, and maybe they want to see miracles. Maybe they know somebody who's sick or injured. They've heard that Jesus is doing miracles. Maybe they've just heard the hype about this person who's, who's a, a remarkable teacher who's standing up to the status quo. Maybe they just want a free meal. But there's many, many people that are coming. And it says in Matthew chapter 5 that Jesus sees this multitude. And he comes up the mountainside and begins to teach. And he teaches Matthew 5 and 6. And as we get to chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount is, is starting to wind down. And at the conclusion of the sermon, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, I want you to do something now with what I've just been preaching to you, what I've just been sharing with you about. Enter by the narrow gate. Let me reiterate just some ground rules as we'll go through this because Jesus does this often throughout the Sermon on the Mount. There's a reference to in chapter, in verse 12, where he says, this is the law and the prophets. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus refers back to, you've heard it said, you've heard it said. You'll see that, that phrase used often throughout the, the teachings here. And, and Jesus is drawing the listeners in the first century and drawing us back to the words that God has been speaking to God's people for centuries before Jesus stood on the mountain. Back to the words of the law, back to the prophets, back to the Hebrew scriptures. And, and Jesus isn't dismissing, this is an important, just kind of an aside, a kind of a foundational thing before we get into the text. He's not dismissing or replacing the law or the prophets. Remember Paul says in Romans chapter 11 that God's words, God's promises, God's gifts are irrevocable. So it's not that Jesus is changing the rules here or anything. He's saying, I want you to understand deeper. I want this to affect your life, to be applied, to understand even more so a deeper practice of God's words that God's been speaking for centuries. You've heard it said, you shall not murder. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I want you to understand that it's even deeper than just a physical action. It's a heart, it's a mind, it's a transformation of who you are. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them, for this is the law and the prophet. It's the heartbeat of God interacting with creation. So we're going to look at really kind of unpacking what this looks like, the golden rule, this, this, uh, uh, the teaching of Jesus. I have three observations uh, coming out of uh, verses 13 and 14. And the first one is really just the narrow gate. I want to start by, by the ob in, in looking at what Jesus means when Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. In the first century, in the ancient Near East, 
Cities were obviously vitally important. This was the center. Jerusalem was no different. This was the center of all of Jewish custom, Jewish law, Jewish religion. It was all centered here. Everything that, that took place, it, it all happened in Jerusalem. And all these major cities were fortified by, major, by massive walls as a way for protection. And Jerusalem was no different. And, and there were major gates, these big, large gates that allowed access in and out of cities, right? Jerusalem had 12 gates in the first century, uh, these were the focal point often of city life. This is where farmers and tradespeople came in and out, bringing in their, 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 uh, their produce, bringing in the animals, things that were used for sacrifice at the temple. This is where often real estate and different business trans transactions took place at the gates. It's also where, like, the pomp and circumstance, the ceremony, if you think about uh, when Pontius Pilate came into the city to celebrate Passover at the end of the Gospels, that was celebrated, inaugurated at the gates of the city. And often these gates, they were designed, of course, to be closed at night for protection, uh, but, but there were some of the gates that had smaller kind of person gates smaller pedestrian doors. So when the doors, the gates were shut, only one or two people can come in uh, in the evenings when the main gates were closed. So Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 has been sharing quite a bit, quite a bit, talking about a whole bunch of things. And the sermon's winding down. The worship team comes up and pads softly, plays softly behind him. People are thinking that the sermon's about to be over and they're thinking about what they're gonna do for lunch. And Jesus says something abrupt in Matthew 7, 13. He says, enter by the narrow gate. Jesus is asking people to do something with what he's just been talking about. Have you ever noticed that sometimes things don't always make sense the same once you leave church? Like you hear something and it sounds super good, Sean says something, and you're just like, oh, I'm writing that down. Oh, I'm highlighting that passage. It makes so much sense. You leave, and then all of a sudden, it's like, wait, I forget how this is supposed to work in my life. I wonder if that was happening when Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. All these people have been up on the hillside listening. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. There's a woman who's been there listening the whole day. She's been just saying her amen. She's like, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder, but I don't even want you to have anger in your heart. She's like, yes, that's so great. But then she heads down the hill and sees her neighbor. Yeah, but Jesus, no, I know you said enter by the narrow gate. You just don't know this person. They've been borrowing stuff and never returning. They, 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 they play music all, at all hours. No, I know, I, it made so much sense up on the hillside when you're saying it. I, I, but you just haven't met this person. Or there's a guy up there listening to Jesus, similarly really excited, really, really just eating it up, just soaking in the words Jesus is saying, yes, oh, amen, enter by the narrow gates, I'm in for that. Remembering that Jesus said in Matthew 5, if anybody forces you to go one mile, go two miles instead. He's like, oh, that's so good. And then he starts heading down the hill and he sees the Roman soldier, makes eye contact, and he's like, oh, no, Jesus, please, I know you said enter by the narrow gates. No, but, but I don't want to enter the gate today. I've just walked up the hill. You preached for way longer than I was expecting. I've got kids at home that are eating cereal all day. I've got work to do, but please, I don't want to enter the narrow gates today. Because by law in the first century, 
any conquered territory, and Israel was a conquered territory of the Roman Empire, anyone who lived in, a, in those territories could be forced to carry the kit of a Roman soldier for one mile. That was Roman law. This guy sees the guy that sees the Roman soldiers coming out. Oh, Jesus, I don't want to come down and go through the narrow gate today. I don't want to do that. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. He can make you carry stuff, or as you enter the narrow gate, you're free. You get to, you can carry that stuff all day. Sometimes it's hard to take the message of Jesus and say, it makes so much sense in here, but then the minute I leave and, and I'm supposed to apply it to my life, it's like, ugh, I don't want to. Right? I think what Jesus is after when he's inviting us to enter the narrow gate, he's saying, I want you to do something. I want you to do something when you head down off of this hill. I want you to do something when you leave this community of faith and you go out into the real world where people aren't always super nice. There's a little man, a mantra that I, I would say that goes with this. Sean kind of said something similar when he was talking about giving, saying there's, it's a blessing to be a blessing. I would even take that a step further and say the blessing is in the doing because Jesus is inviting us to put the words of a loving creator into action. Enter by the narrow gate. The blessing is in the doing. And this wasn't just a one-off that Jesus said, and it just sounded really nice at the Sermon on the Mount. This was intrinsic in the ministry that we see throughout his gospel. Matthew chapter 7 is kind of the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ, but if you fast forward all the way from, from where Jesus is at here at the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel, three years later, as, as all of the things that have unfolded throughout the Gospels, we find Jesus in Jerusalem in John chapter 13. They're getting ready for the Passover feast. The blessing is in the doing, Jesus has been saying again and again and again. Jesus and his disciples have entered into Jerusalem. They're expecting this Passover feast. They're going to a prearranged house, Right? They're walking through the streets of Jerusalem. I don't know if you're aware of what happened in Jerusalem on the streets. They weren't just for people. There were all sorts of livestock, all sorts of animals. And if you're not familiar with animals, sometimes things end from the southern end of a northern moving animal that, that end up getting left there, right? So they're walking through Jerusalem, the same streets that a whole herd of sheep have gone through not too long before that. They, they arrive at the house, and they're a mess. And normally it was tradition for the lowest servant to come and wash the feet of people who were arriving. And they're not just wiping the dust off their feet, if you, if you know what I mean. <laughs> not a pleasant task. They have this Passover feast, and this is the point where Jesus gets up and puts on a towel and assumes the role of a servant and begins to wash his disciples' feet. And they're mortified. They're, it's awkward. They're embarrassed. They're indignant. I can only imagine Jesus in that moment being like, guys, we have been together for three years and you still don't get it. The blessing is in the doing. Jesus, it, Jesus said in John 13, uh, he said, if I then your teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. That sounds similar to what Jesus said on the mountainside in Matthew chapter seven, doesn't it? The blessing is in the doing. 
enter by the narrow gate. If you know these things, he said, blessed are you if you do them. And this isn't just a requirement, uh, you know, checking the box and action that's required. The whole Sermon on the Mount is action that is birthed out of the transformation that only Jesus brings. It's not just a requirement to get the merit badge. That's why Jesus said again and again, you've heard it said, let me tell you what that looks like in real life. Enter by the narrow gate. Why does he use this illustration of a narrow gate? Why did he pick that image? I would say that the narrow gate is where you find people who are not just picking out the marshmallows in their faith. People who are not just living in the nice or easy teachings of Jesus. Which brings me to my next observation. Traffic patterns. Use these two images of the gate, right? And then, which leads to the traffic patterns, the, the, the paths that those two, uh, the narrow gate or the, the broad gate lead you to, a big buff, bustling avenue or a narrow, secluded side street. And I imagine that you all are very familiar with bustling, very active. I think about street fairs when I think about the, when I kind of get an image of what Jesus is talking about. And probably you're all familiar with street fairs in this part of uh, Burlington, Mount Vernon, right? Tulip Festival's coming up. You've got the, the very berry days. All these things where we're... And, and hey, let me just say this. I, I want to make sure that I, you're not thinking that I'm saying there's something theologically wrong with street fairs, because that's not it at all. I love, I love street fairs. I love all the organic, shade-grown, fair trade. I love that. There's a street fair in Everett, the farmer's market. We even have a woman who sells organic hula hoops. I didn't know that was a thing. I'm not making that up. They're like hand-wrapped and specially weighted. I don't, I don't know. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with street fairs, but Jesus used the image of a big avenue full of people, all sorts of stuff going on. And he says, the gate is wide and the way is easy. That leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. And he's contrasting that with what he's just invited when he says enter by the narrow gate, because he says the gate is narrow, and the way is what? Hard? That leads to life, and those who find it are few. Painting a contrast here. And I think he, it's really critical for us to remember this because as we look at this, it's really easy to think about that. And if you're anything like me, I think about that. And I'm like, no, I know, Jesus, I get that. But people just don't act that way. That's why everybody's at the street fair. That's where all the action is. That's where all the things are happening. That's where people are. People don't act the way you're talking about. And I think Jesus said, well, exactly. Exactly. I'm calling you to a different path. That other way, that well-traveled road, the, tr the, the road where all the excitement is, where all the noise is, all the action that's taking place, that's a well-traveled road, but that's not the path that I'm calling you to, friends. Because our default is you hurt me, I'm gonna hurt you back. And if you hurt me again, I'm cutting off all relationship. That is like, our default standard operating procedure, and that, friends, is a six-lane highway 
of, human, of the human experience. But Jesus says, that's not the path that I have called you to. That's not the path that I'm inviting you to. There's not a lot of foot, foot traffic on the narrow path that Jesus invites us to. In the work that I have the opportunity to do in Everett, um, I work a lot in addressing poverty, uh, in the brokenness, the people who are forced to the margins in Everett, people dealing with food insecurity, with homelessness, with behavioral health, addiction struggles, all of those things. Um, Everett, in Snohomish County, there's about 1,300 people who have been identified as homeless, as undersheltered, uh, which is a, a very, very, very conservative number. Um, about half of those people uh, reside in Everett. And so I, get to, I have the privilege of working on projects and working on policies that find solutions, uh, intended to find solutions, I should say, that alleviate suffering. And you know what my biggest challenge is in the work that I get to do? Me. And people just like me. People with great intentions. But people who are comfortable with their current realities. Anybody heard the, uh, the, the, the term NIMBY? Not in my backyard. Um, it's the reality in our, com in, in our community, and I, I don't know how it is in Burlington, um, but, but it's uncomfortable for people to be in proximity to brokenness or to poverty. And often what I hear is some sort of, uh, some modification or some type of expression that says something like, I know the city needs these programs. I, need, we need, I know that we need to help these individuals. Um, I, I believe that with all my heart. I just don't want that to be done near me. I just don't want that in my backyard. I, I, don't, I don't like that. This narrow gate that the, the Jesus has invited us to in Matthew chapter 7 uh, is an invitation to draw near to difficult circumstances with people around us, with caring for our neighbors, right? It's, it's really easy. It's way more easy to love communities on the other side of the world, to love and care about causes that are important and valid. Don't let me... I'm not trying to say they're not in, on other continents. It's way easier to love those individuals than it is sometimes to love the brokenness, the hurt, my neighbors that are li literally my physical neighbors, right? Makes me think of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10. Uh, a, a rich young man came and, and, and it says that uh, this man ran up and knelt before him and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? translation, or maybe another way to say that is, hey, Jesus, how do I get on the correct path? I've heard you talk about this narrow path. How do I get on that correct path? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witnesses. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. And you notice, again, I mentioned to this earlier, that Jesus is drawing this rich young man back to the law, back to the prophets. Jesus is always building on what God has already established. 
just like he's doing in the Sermon on the Mount. And he said to him, teacher, all of these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Here's the invitation to the narrow path that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 7. And this man went away very sorrowful because he had a lot of stuff. Do unto others, Jesus says. Enter by the narrow gate. The blessing is in the doing. When I think about brokenness, when I think about poverty, when I think about my neighbors, boy, sometimes it can feel monolithic to try and address any of that. But let me just push pause on that because I, I, don't, I hope you don't hear me saying that, that we should be trying to fix all of these, these problems, uh, you know, systemic homelessness, poverty, behavioral health, all of those things. I'm not trying to address all of the, uh, the, the, the systemic issues in our, in our communities. But I think it is fair for us to say, what does that look like in my life? How can we walk the path that Jesus has invited us to in my world? I think it's a matter of trusting Jesus. For many of us, it's easy to keep those issues at arm's length. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Draw near. Take a step down this narrow path. And he went on to speak to this young man in Matthew chapter 10, and he said uh, um, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. Who could be saved? Jesus said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are, are possible with God. Hey, Sean, can I just check with you on time? That says negative 13. Am I 13 minutes over? Okay, how much time do I have? Okay, I know you got kids and stuff. I just want to make sure that if I have to... Okay, great. So Jesus is inviting us to walk through this narrow gate. And in fact, he, he refines that, makes it even narrower here in Matthew chapter 10. He says, that gate, friends, it's like the eye of a needle. And on your own, all of those things, boy, it's, it's impossible. But not with God. With God, all things are possible. So we talked about the narrow gate. We talked about these travel destinations. Excuse me, not travel destinations. <clears throat> because destinations is the last point. Travel, travel pa uh, traffic patterns. And our last observation, our last conversation is the destinations. We've been invited to journey with Jesus on the narrow path, and Jesus wants listeners to leave with an understanding, not just an invitation to walk through the narrow gate, but that roads lead places. Roads lead places. As he's concluding the Sermon on the Mount, as he's wrapping things up, one of the takeaways I think Jesus wants us and wanted the first century listeners to hear is that, hey, listen, roads lead places. Look what he says in verse 13 and 14 again. Enter by the narrow gates, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it by many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads where? It leads to life. There's a destination. He's painted this picture of the gates. He's talked about the path that they both lead to. Guess what? They have a destination. One of them leads to destruction and one of them leads to life. One road 
that many people find themselves on, I hate to say it, it is a death march. That narrative that I share, that, to, that is kind of the standard operating procedure, that you've hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back, and if you hurt me again, we're done. That, friends, is a death march with your spouse or partner. It's a death march with your kids, with your coworkers. It is a death march. And let me tell you what this looks like in my life. I've experienced this. Talking about my wife, we've been married 21 years, and I'm sure many of you have never experienced this where you've had an argument, yeah, let's say this, a conversation that ended up an argument about something unrelated to the original conversation. Anybody know, probably nobody, know, you don't need to, I'm probably alone in this, right? I'll get to a point where I'm just shouting something like, you never tell me about the money you're sending and spending on things. And my wife's like, I thought we were talking about how much cereal our children have been eating this week. What are we even doing? How did we get here? You're not listening to me. No, you're not listening to me. Guess what? I'm pleased to tell you that after 20, almost 21 years of marriage, we don't have those arguments as often as we used to. You want to know why? Because I've had them 37 times. And we've discovered those arguments, that path leads to the death of an evening. And if we're not careful, it continues to bring rot and dysfunction and death to our relationship. When I'm focusing on my needs above others around us, in this case, I'm talking about my wife. But anytime I'm pursuing my own interests over the interests of others, of loving my neighbor, of caring for the people around us, that, friends, is a path that leads to death, Jesus says. But when somebody with a clear mind who's able to push pause to take a step on this path that Jesus has invited us and say, you know what, I need to apologize. I wasn't honoring you. I need to ask forgiveness because I was just focusing on myself here. Friends, that is the step on the narrow path that Jesus has invited us to that leads to life when we're able to release my own agenda, when we're able to say, Jesus, boy, would you bless my neighbor? Bless them with peace, bless them with joy, bless them without my agenda, but just bless them as your beloved child, as your creator, part of your creation who you love so dearly. When I practice that generosity, when somebody around me needs help, without predetermining why that person is wrong or guilty, which I see a lot of in the world around me that I work in, well, I'll help them, but they should know. That's, that's helpful. Good job. Thank you. I love it. I want to finish up um, kind of wrapping up and, and, and um, kind of tie this together, summarizing with um, some words from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It's Martin Luther King Day Tomorrow. Uh, what a man who lived his life walking that narrow path, right? It was only fitting to finish with some of the words that he spoke. Um, somebody who lived his life not just eating the marshmallows of faith. This comes from a sermon he preached in Detroit on March 7th, 1961. He said, talking about this human condition, this kind of this, the tension that we find ourselves in that, boy, that, that wide avenue is very enticing, very easy to walk. It seems like there's a lot of people on here, but Jesus is calling us to a narrow path that isn't always comfortable. It's not always fun. G, uh, Martin Luther King says, 
Theologians call this a conflict between God and man. Whatever we call it, we realize sooner or later that the isness of our present natures is out of harmony with the eternal oughtness that forever confronts us. The isness of our present reality, the way things are, it's out of whack with the eternal oughtness, how things are supposed to be, the, the, the unfinished work that Jesus is still unfolding. And he went on to say as he concluded his sermon, finally, we must love our enemies. We must love our neighbors because love has within its very power transforming qualities. And we notice hate and we think about it. Hate serves to destroy Love serves to build up. Hate seeks destructive ends. Love seeks constructive ends. Hate seeks to annihilate. Love seeks to convert. Hate seeks to live in a monologue. Love seeks to live in a dialogue. And it's only through love, it's only through loving our neighbors that we are able to redeem and to transform our neighbors. And that's the invitation Jesus has given us that we find in Matthew chapter 7 today. The invitation to enter through the narrow gate, to love your neighbors as yourself, the hard practice of what it looks like to actually love that person, to draw near in proximity to those around you, to draw near not just in proximity, but in the love that Jesus has showered and, and blessed us with. Enter by the narrow gate, Jesus said. Can we uh, take a moment and pray? We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you want to take your next step in following Jesus, fill out the digital connect card at thehubcitychurch.com slash connect. We'd love to celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life.